and a great congregation. And uh, he preaches all across the country. And just almost every meeting that we have across the country, you hear of him speaking. He is such a great man. He's just such a, uh, he, he's a, he's tall. Amen. But not only tall physically, but he's tall in the spirit. And we love and appreciate him very much. And we want him to come and just deliver his soul to us tonight. Praise God. Brother Booker, come right on. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's great to be here tonight. And uh, this really is a very, very special conference and a very special occasion. I thank Brother Mooney and all of the sponsors, everybody that is involved, all of the work that goes into it from this local church and the sacrifice that everyone has made to be here. And the day that we live in, this is one of the most important conferences we have. It really is. And you may, as Brother Mooney so aptly and ably and wonderfully brought out, uh, think, well, I don't know that this is needed. We know what we believe. But um, life and times affect us more than we would like to admit. And we know that we are living in a different nation today. This is a different nation today than it was when I was a boy. It's a different nation. It's not the nation I grew up in. There are philosophies, there are outlooks that were foreign to us when I was just a boy. And uh, it didn't happen overnight, but it happened. And as surely as there, a cow, there is a cow in Texas somewhere, we're in a new world. And so that can happen spiritually. And it is happening to a lot of places and a lot of people. Uh, I had a friend of mine that attended a seminar, large, large seminar, that was given to the subject of revival. And it was in a uh, denominal movement. And uh, the people that had sponsored it had experience what they felt was a very very powerful in gathering etc 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 and so he went and said he he didn't have any better sense than to wear a suit and a tie he just thought that's what you did and um, and he said over half the ministers that came were in shorts and the ministers wives were in halter tops and shorts and this is denominal ministers so he's sitting there, and, and then he heard it, it was ongoing, and in an intermission time, a man that was sitting next to him that was a professor in uh, one of the uh, seminaries that was represented there, he looked at him, and he said, you know, I have come to the place that I believe that if we're going to experience the revival that God wants to give us as a people that we must lay aside all doctrine. And my friend sat there and he said, all doctrine? He said, yes, all of it. 
And he said, well, surely, you know, if a, if a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu wanted to be caught up in this revival that you're talking about, wouldn't they have to believe that Jesus was the Savior? I mean, at least that. And he said the scary thing was the man sat there for a long time really contemplating that question. And he said, well, I guess they might have to. Now, brethren, sisters, that's a spirit at work. When it, when it moves on someone's mind and heart to where they can't even think reasonably uh, straight, uh, we, need, we need to stop and say, whoa. And as Brother Mooney has so ably brought out, we are the people of the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is not salvation in any other. Hallelujah. And I will repeat this off tonight probably, but I believe we need to embrace not only Jacob's God, but we need to embrace Jacob's outlook. And Jacob said, first of all, he said, I am not worthy of the mercy and the truth which thou hast shown me. Brothers and sisters, we are not worthy of this great mercy and this great truth which God has shown us. But I also want to tell you, we're not worthy, but we're not ashamed either. Hallelujah. We are not worthy, but we're not ashamed. Hallelujah. Now, I uh, am going to read to you from two places in the Word of the Lord. I am going to ask if you would, I know this is a little different setting, but if you would mind, let's stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord. Um, I was asked by the very, very kind people if I would like to give a PowerPoint presentation, and I know that they've worked on something here, and, and I told our secretary, I said, well, tell him that by the time I get to service, and in the area I want to cover, I'm going to move so quick that it wouldn't do for me to do a PowerPoint presentation. But they're going to do one, and just keep up. Hallelujah. Because we're going to move on down the road here tonight. But I want to read, first of all, from the book of Exodus, chapter number 6. And then if you would also turn to the book of Genesis, chapter number 22. Exodus 6, beginning with verse number 2. And God spake unto Moses, and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them? And then in the book of Genesis, chapter number 22, beginning with verse number 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. 
And Abraham called the name of the place, that place, Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Lord God, we ask that you would anoint every heart, every soul. God, wing our hearts to receive your word. God, move us, God, into waters you would have us go. Minister very graciously and powerfully, very profoundly, as God, only your word and spirit can do. We love you. We stand in awe of you. And God, we are thankful to you for your mercy and for your truth. We commit this service. We commit this meeting, God, in your hands, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you so much. You may be seated. We, uh, in our text tonight, I'm sure in the course of reading, many of you caught maybe a glimpse of where we are headed. But in the sixth chapter of the book of Exodus, we know that this is where the Lord is speaking to Moses and reaffirming the fact that he has called him to go back into the land of Egypt from whence he came and came forth as a fugitive to go back and to bring his people Israel out and to bring out a people for his namesake into the land which God swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. In the process of God calling him and informing him, he states to him that he appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but that by his name Jehovah he was not known to them. They did not know him as Jehovah God. And then when we go back, to the book of Genesis, chapter number 22, 400 plus years before this time, we find that Abraham is on the mount. He is about to offer up Isaac as the called forth sacrifice by the Lord God. And when the Lord speaks to him to stop the thrust of his arm and says, I uh, don't touch him. Now I know that you fear me. We find that Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. Amen. Now, several years ago, I started to write a book called The So-Called Contradictions of Jesus Christ. I got about six or seven chapters written, I mean, the contradictions of Scripture, and I got about six or seven chapters written, and then I began to find a plethora of books on that subject, that all did a much better job than I did. And so I thought, you know, so much for that. And, uh, and I didn't finish it. But one of those chapters dealt with these two texts here. Amen. Exodus 6, God plainly speaks, speaks to Moses that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know him by his name Jehovah. And yet clearly we find that Abraham did know the name Jehovah. And he called the place of Isaac's deliverance Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day in the Mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Now we know Paul said it best in Romans 3, let God be true and every man a liar. Hallelujah. And what would seem to be a contradiction 
Did Abram know the name Jehovah or not? And apparently he did. But God said he didn't. Well, who are we going to believe? Let God be true and every man a liar. Can I propose to you quickly off the bat tonight, amen, that while Abraham could pronounce the name, while Abraham knew the name, while Abraham could utter the name, God said he really didn't know it. He did not know me by that name, Jehovah. He knew me as God Almighty, or what we find is El Shaddai. Amen. Now the word El Shaddai, uh, we find means God is all-sufficient. It's from Shadda, which means to shed or to pour out. Amen. One of the most basic of commentaries, but good in its own right. Adam Clark puts it this way, and I quote, I am that God who pours out blessings, who gives them richly, abundantly, continually. And if you will think of the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac, and the life of Jacob, you will find that they knew him as the Lord that blessed them. They knew him as Al Shaddai. They knew him as God Almighty or Almighty God. God introduced himself to Abram in Genesis 17, 1, and to Isaac 28 and 3, and to Jacob 35 and 11 as El Shaddai. He did not introduce himself as he did to Moses by the name Jehovah, but he introduced himself to them as El Shaddai. They would not fight for the land of their possession. Amen. Abram would walk the length and the breadth of his future domain, but he would not have to fight for it. Isaac was raised there. Jacob was raised there. Amen. And became involved in the sojourn in Egypt in the latter days of his life. But the blessings of God were upon them. They did not fight for flocks and herds. They did not fight, nor did Isaac fight for wells. Amen. Everything that God gave them, he absolutely gave them. He knew them. Amen. And they knew him as El Shaddai, the Lord that blesseth. But now, amen, Moses was fixing to know and need to know God in a new dimension because he was going to deal with real strong opposition. Amen. The Israelites were going to face a people now by of a mighty people, a mighty race of nation called Egypt. And they were not going to roll over and play dead and say, yeah, if you want to go, that's cool. Just go ahead and do it. But they fought them and they fought them vociferously. And it took mighty acts of God, one upon another, culminated into finally the tenth last plague where God smote the firstborn. Can I tell you, it's good to know El Shaddai. It's good to know God Almighty. But brother, when your back's to the wall and you got a knife to your throat. It's good to know Jehovah God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Jehovah or Yahweh or, of course, we trust we know in your Bibles in the King James Version, Lord, when you find it in all caps, it's the Tetragrammaton, capital L-O-R-D, is the same as Yahweh, Jehovah, or who only God now knows how it is supposed to really be pronounced. Amen. This name is different from El Shaddai. Amen. This name would bring an assurance that God would carry out 
the manifestations of his nature as expressed in the name of Jehovah. This God and that name contained three distinct elements. And I'm quoting to you from Kyle and Dillett's commentary. Amen. Three distinct elements. A, deliverance from Israel from the bondage of Egypt, bringing them out from under the burden of the Egyptians, saving them from their bondage. Two, or B, adoption of Israel as the nation of God. Three, amen, the guidance of Israel into the land promised to the fathers. They needed to know more than just Almighty God. They needed to know a God by the name of Jehovah that would deliver them and would break the back, amen, of Egypt and anything else that would withstand what God had in mind. In other words, to get the job done that you need to do, he said, I will equip you with the name that you need. I equipped Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with all they needed. But now I'm going to give you revelation. Amen. And you're going to use this name. You're going to need to know it. Again, I repeat, it is obvious by the text, amen, of Genesis 22, that Abram did know, Abraham did know the name Jehovah. But it's one thing, again, to utter a name, to be able to say it. And it's another thing to have the revelation of that name. Hallelujah. Let me give you the title of what I want to talk about. Knowing the name while not knowing the name. We're interested in not just uttering the name of Jesus. We want to know it. Hallelujah. And by the grace of God, we do know the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, it is interesting here, and, and for those of you that are aware of this, and if you are aware of this, that's fine. This and $3 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. In theological circles, it came from Jew, German uh, school of higher criticism in the 1800s, etc., etc., etc. There is something known as the E document and the J document, and they base this from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and the fact that Elohim we find in Genesis 1, and then we find Lord God in Genesis 2 and 3, etc. And so we're, they, they say we're dealing with two accounts of creation and all that. Don't worry about that. Just eat something after church, go to bed, and have a good night. Hallelujah. But it is interesting to note that in Genesis chapter 1, we find the word God, God, Elohim, 32 times. We never find the word Lord. When we get into Genesis 3, it's nine times. Genesis 4, it's seven times. Or Genesis 3, we find Lord God. Jehovah God, Jehovah God, nine times. You will also find the word Elohim by itself. But many references now God is making is Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, nine times. In Genesis 4, you find just the word Jehovah, seven times. Some references to Elohim. But no Lord God together. But when you go to the last verse of chapter 4, 
And if my numbers on this are not exactly right, forgive me, and forgive me, Brother Mooney, because I was going through and counting them up. This thought here hit me while I was sitting there. And I began to, to try and get that. If I missed it, it's because I didn't have my computer on my lap. Hallelujah. But in the last verse of Genesis 4, in verse 26, it speaks of the birth of Enos, the son of Seth. And this would put you down in a time frame of man's years being 235 years. And it states that in Enos' day, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In those days, man began to call on the name of Jehovah. And yet again, of all that called on the name Jehovah, it's pretty telling point that God said, even the father of the faithful, Abraham and his son Isaac and Jacob, as far as God was concerned, he said, by my name Jehovah was I not known unto them. And we know that from the days of Enos on, people called on the name Jehovah. And we know that Abraham uttered the word and it came out of his mouth. But God knows what he's about. And he knows what our revelation is about. And he knows if a man really knows a revelatory name or the revelation of a name or not. And he said, if you want to talk to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about El Shaddai, they can tell you all about it. They have a revelation. They know me clearly by El Shaddai. But when it comes to the name, amen, of Yahweh, they do not know that name. They are not familiar. They are not experienced. It is not revealed, amen, in a way that is powerful, amen, and life-changing. But Moses, you've got to know me by the name Jehovah because you've got a big job to do and you're going to lean on that name and you're going to see the glory of that name and the power of that name. Yes. Amen. We are in the beginning days of the 21st century. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? There's a lot of people in the world that know the name of Jesus. But how many would God say, really know my name? It's one thing to say the name. It's one thing to be, utter, to be able to utter the name. But it's something else to have a revelation of the one God, amen, saving name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And that's what we're all about. We are called the people of the name. The people of the name. Let's lift our hands. And let's thank Him for that right now. Oh God, we love you. Jesus! We love you, we love you, we love you. Thank you for your name. Amen, amen. We could say, if someone from another country said, Do you know Ronald Reagan? I would have to say, I know of him. I've seen pictures of him. My wife has met Nancy Reagan. But I don't know Ronald Reagan. I just, I don't really know him. I don't really know him. I know more about him. 
But I don't really know him any more than I know George Washington. But I do know Ronald Reagan's first cousin. And he gave me a plethora of pictures of Ronald Reagan taken when he was a boy that have never been published. He gave me a whole album of them. And he said, I'm giving them to you under one condition. Don't publish them as long as I'm alive. He said, when I die, I don't care what you do with them. But while I'm alive, I don't want you to publish them. So I've got them. But I still don't know Ronald Reagan. But he knew him. He knew him very, very well. I don't want to just know the name of Jesus. I want to know it very, very well. I want to know him on a first-hand basis. I want to know it if need be in the power of his resurrection, if need be in the fellowship of his suffering. But, oh, I want to know him. Oh, I want to know him. Hallelujah. Now, we know that what set Israel apart and is setting us apart is the fact that we believe there is but one God. Hallelujah. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22, David had this revelation. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, Jehovah God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Can I tell you, that little Jewish boy raised up in that Jewish home, all his ears ever heard was there is but one God. There is but one God. He is Jehovah God. There is but one God. And that fulfilled what was told Moses, and Moses told the people, in your down sittings and your uprisings, when you go to bed at night, when you get up in the morning, when you're going out the door, you better tell them, here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And David said, that's all I've heard all my life. That's all I know. That's all I believe, and I'll die believing it. That's what made them separate. Isaiah 42 and 8, I am the Lord. I am the Jehovah. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. And my praise to graven images. His glory is not given out to anybody else. Isaiah 43, and many of these verses that I'm going to give, we are familiar with them. But it must be reiterated. We must teach them diligently to our children. You can never take anything for granted. You cannot take anything for granted. I'm embarrassed to say this. My only consolation is I pastored the man five years. Somebody else pastored him. Others... For 35 years, a man that had been in the church for 40 years. And I pastored him for five of them. One Sunday morning, at the end of service, he came up to me. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, if I understood you right, are you saying that you got to have the Holy Ghost to be saved? I said, what would you say? He said, are you saying you got the Holy Ghost? You don't speak it in other tongues to be saved? I said, exactly what I'm saying. You didn't know that? He said, I guess it never dawned on me. Brothers and sisters, you can't take anything for granted. 
You cannot take it for granted. You cannot take it for granted that because someone has repented of the sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, and received the gift of the Holy Ghost, that they've got this thing down in them. We've got to teach it. We've got to preach it. It's got to be repeated over and over and over. Amen. It's got to be in the morning. It's got to be in the night. There's got to be something that we've got a revelation that God it has got to go into our babies. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. Ye are my witnesses. Come on, Israel. You are to be my witnesses, saith the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. There is no God to his left. There is no God to his right. There is no other God but our God. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I'm not just Israel's King. I'm also Israel's Redeemer. The King of the Old Testament is also the Redeemer. Not a second person. Not someone to the left or the right. He's one and the same. He said, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. And who is I shall call and shall declare it and set in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show unto them, fear you not, neither be afraid. Have I not told thee from that time and declared it? Even ye are my witnesses. And the following statement lets us know there is one thing God in this whole wide universe does not know. Yea, there is no God. I know not any. That's the one thing he does not know. There's no other God. He's it, brothers and sisters. I'm glad that we know Him. I'm glad that He has revealed Himself to us. I'm glad we embrace this. I'm glad we preach it. I'm glad we teach it. I'm glad we live it. And can I tell you, we need to proclaim it to the whole world. Isaiah 45, verses 21 through 3. Tell ye, bring them near. Let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. And the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. And it shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall swear. I'm glad I know that name. I'm glad I know him. I'm glad he's here. Now in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also 
shall the Son of Man be ashamed when He cometh in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Woo, hallelujah. Do you remember that He stated He would not give His glory to another. He's not going to give His glory to anybody else. Isaiah 42 and 8, if He's not going to give His glory to anybody else, and Jesus said, I'm coming in my Father's glory, then He meant it when He said, I and my Father are one. Yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're not just talking about the name. We're talking about knowing the name. Amen. I want to know that name. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee is going to bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess or swear that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory to the glory of God the Father. He's not giving His glory to another. We're not going to bow our knees and say, Jesus is Lord. Because He's one and the same. Amen. How does this work? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to... Eh. Second Corinthians 5.19, to it God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. Nehemiah 9, 6, Thou, even Thou, art Jehovah alone. Thou hast made heaven and the heaven of heavens and all their hosts, the earth and all things that are in therein, the sea and all that is therein. Thou preservest them all. The host of heaven worshipeth thee. Jehovah God alone did that. And yet in Colossians 1 verses 15 it states that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were made or created by Him and for Him. He is before all things and by Him all things consist. Hallelujah. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Now, I know it's nighttime, but I want us to catch this. For a moment, I want all of us to pretend, and it'll be easier for some than others. I want us to pretend we're God. Okay? I want us to pretend that we're God before creation. So everybody, I don't want to lose you now, but close your eyes. Keep listening, but close your eyes. You're God. There's nothing ever been created. No height, no depth, no length, 
no breath, no angels, no nothing. And just for the sake of us grasping, one day this God spoke, He expressed, and we'll pick it up with Genesis 1. So in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And so everybody, I want you to say, let there be light, and then open your eyes. Let there be light. There it is. It is if you open them. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you a question. What came first, the light or the Word? You spoke it, and it happened. Hallelujah. So, He was the beginning of the creation of God. The Word. Revelation 3.14 Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus is not a second person of a triune Godhead. He's the beginning of the creation of God. And God is a spirit. And one day that spirit spoke. Let there be light. And so before the light came was the expression. It was the Logos. It was the spoken word. Hallelujah. This is why when you go to the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 11, verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. This is why John 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning, and God has no beginning, hallelujah, but creation did. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made which was made. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. So God spoke. When you speak, it's not another person. It's just you expressing. And so here's the picture. God's a spirit. He cannot bleed. He cannot be tempted. Neither tempteth He any man. He certainly cannot die. And He spoke everything into existence. And man fell and became wayward. And He sent prophets and His law. And they were numerically rejected. And so this God that could not bleed, this God that could not be tempted, this God that could not die, He overshadowed a virgin girl by the name of Mary. And His Spirit conceived something in her. And out of her womb came flesh. And now, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. And now, He could be in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. And now, He could shed precious blood. And now, through the auspices of that body, He could taste death for every man. 
And it was a human body. I'm not being ugly, but brothers and sisters, there's no such thing as dead divinity. But there was dead humanity. That was the Word made flesh. And the Spirit left it. That's why He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because now the Spirit was leaving and He was tasting death and He gave up the ghost. And through the auspices of that body, He tasted death. But then God came back, hallelujah, and re-entered that body and raised it up and went to hell, amen, and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and raised him up, set him on high, glorified, and there is one sitting on the throne, Jesus Christ the righteous, the beginning of the creation of God. I'm glad I know his name. Neither is there salvation in any other. We don't just know the name. We don't just utter the name. By the grace of God, we got a revelation. You know, John 3:16, for God so loved the world, he gave. His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. First John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. The only human life He ever took on was in the man Christ Jesus. Hereby perceive we the love of God. He laid down that one single life for us. Oh my, I'm glad I know who Jesus is. I'm glad I see the love of my kinsman redeemer. That God so loved the world. He so condescended. He so humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross in order that he could buy the likes of you and I. That's a good God. That's a great God. That's a mighty God. That's a holy God. That's a saving God. That's the eternal God. First Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Believed on in the world, received up into glory. Hallelujah. You know, whew, there's a lot of, there's a lot of verses. I'm not pushing these things, but if you buy those things they put together, they'll give you all the verses that I've got. If you don't mind. I'm going to kind of cut to the chase a little here. You can only uh, absorb as much as the seat can endure. Hallelujah. <laughs> Who raised him from the dead? John 10:18. No man taketh it from me. I lay it down myself. I have power to take it up again. 
So Jesus raised it from the dead. Galatians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Romans 8, 11, but it's the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in us. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So who raised him up? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We know it's one and the same. He's Almighty God in the Spirit that manifested himself in human flesh, tasted death, raised it back up. Let me make this better question. Who's going to speak when we're delivered up? Matthew 10, 19, and 20. But when they shall deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. Verse 20. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. So you might just want to take somebody here in these verses, if they're of a persuasion that there's three persons. Say, who's going to speak? Right there in Matthew 10, 19, and 20, it says the Father's going to speak through you. But when you go to Mark 13 and 11, but when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate whatsoever shall be given you in that hour. That speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. So who's going to speak if you're delivered up? Is it the Father or the Holy Ghost? Then you go to Luke chapter 21, verse 14 and 15. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gain, say, no resist. So when you're delivered up, who's going to talk? The Father or the Son or the Holy Ghost? Brother, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is the Holy Ghost. It's one and the same, that great God Almighty. I remember several years ago, my family and I, brother and sister King, Johnny King, his wife and daughter, uh, we went to Germany, France. Now we were in Wales. We were going to meet our high school uh, classroom uh, church we were pastoring. We're going to meet us there in England, then go back to France. Anyway, we're traveling on the road to Wales, and we were going to a village called Hay on Wye. It is a book store, antiquarian bookstore paradise. There's about as many bookstores in that little village as there is anything. Very old. On the way through there, we just started talking and. I just brought up the subject of William Penn, and we know that Pennsylvania is named after him, that the king of England gave a large tract of land that we call Pennsylvania. We may be familiar with the fact that he was in prison and that he was brought out of prison and received that land. What's not generally known is that he owed his father, a British admiral, a large sum of money, and so to pay his debt to Admiral Penn, he let his son out of prison gave him that tract of land, and Admiral Penn forgave the debt. The reason William Penn was in prison was because he debated the top clerics of his day on this subject. And he wrote a tract on three main themes, but the main one that got him in the really hot water was that he did not believe there was a trinity. And the title of the tract was called A Sandy Foundation Shaken. So I'd never read the track, never dreamed I'd see the track. I'd read about it when I read a biography 
of, uh, of William Penn. And uh, so we're talking about that, and we came into Hayon Y. When we got there, I went to the very first old bookstore we found, walked in, I said, where's your theological section? She said, up the stairs to the left. I walked up the stairs, I went to the left, and I turned. I tell you the truth, I lie not. It was exactly like this. I walked up the steps, I turned, and right in front of me was a five-volume set called Penn's Works. I reached up. Now, these were printed in 1772. That's when those books were printed. Inside were the writings of Penn from the 1600s, mainly in the 1660s. I reached up, took one of the books, I opened it up, and in front of my eyes, a sandy foundation shaken. I got goosebumps on goosebumps. And I was looking at the title of this certain segment called The Trinity Refuted by Right Reason. And I'm reading this. And he said, William Penn said, reason alone, let alone the vast amount of scriptures which he gave, refutes the doctrine of the Trinity. He said, this question begs to be asked. If God is made up of three persons, are the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, are they finite or are they infinite? You've got to answer one way or the other. If you say, well, they're infinite, then you have three infinities. And it's impossible to have three infinities and not have three gods. But there's not three gods. There's one God and three persons. So are they finite or infinite? Well, it can't be infinite or there'd be three gods. So they must be finite. If they're finite, then it takes three finite items to make one infinite God. And you have to have, and God is made up of something finite. This is William Penn. So, and then, if they're finite, and yet the Son is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God, and they're, they're God. Do you believe they're God? Yeah, they're, they're God. They're very God. The Council of Nicaea. Well, then in order for God to be God, He can't be God unless He's made up of three things. Three finites. You've got to have a Father, Son, Holy Ghost to be God, right? Yeah. So if the Son is God, then there's got to be three in Him or He's not God. So you really don't have three. You've got nine. Now stick with me. But in order for them, Son to be God and get a three in Him, for them to be God, you really don't have nine. You've got 27. And you really don't have 27. You have ad infinitum. This is in William Penn's writings, and they threw him in prison for talking like this. Now, can I tell you something? One of the big movers and shakers of the charismatic world today 
wrote a book that he pulled off the shelves because the Trinitarian world threw a fit and made him pull off the shelves and he rewrote part of it. You know the part they made him change? He said, there's not really three, there's nine. Because it takes three to make each one. He said it. And William Penn said it a long time before him. If you're going to believe the Trinity, he's either finite or they're either finite or infinite. And then he went on to talk about, no, there's one infinite God that spoke it all into existence. And he loved the world so much. He overshadowed Mary and through her womb made a body. And he came and lived in that body. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you're complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. You say, I don't know that we need these kind of meetings. I preached this years ago. I didn't, I talked about the Sandy Foundation shake and never dreamed I'd see it, read it. But I talked about how the Quakers at one time believed that there was one God, didn't believe in Trinity. There was a lady in that church. She got all excited. There was a little Quaker. You better listen to me right now. She went to her friend that attended that little Quaker church, told her what I'd preached the night before. And that little woman said, this has been 22 years ago. She said, oh, I know that. She said, all Quaker churches used to believe that. She said, now, to my knowledge, there's only two left in America. This one and one up somewhere in either Northern California or Oregon. We're the only two left. You better hear me tonight. We better not take nothing for granted. And we better be very, very, very specific on our terms. And there's some things you can give no quarter on. For the sake of your babies. There's some things they better get clear. And I'm telling you, they better have it down. There's one God, and His name is Jesus! And as Brother Mooney brought out so clearly, there are people that they want to be so careful and, and spiritually, politically correct and please as many people as possible that, that they're toying with terms that are very, very dangerous. You hear me. If the Quakers can lose it, lose it we can lose it. And uh, such as a man just recently in a district meeting was speaking and he made this statement. He said, when somebody asks me, do you believe in a trinity? My answer is, which trinity are you talking about? The Council of Nicaea Trinity or the Bible Trinity? You hear me now. And he said nine times out of ten, they say, well, the Bible Trinity. He said, then I proceed to explain, amen, that there's one in three manifestations. Can I? Whoa, 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 whoa. There are some things we better get in the hearts of our children. No child should ever hear any statement about a Bible Trinity. There is 
Bible Trinity. There is but one God, and his name is Jesus. And you got to get it down into the hearts of your babies. you got to teach them in the way. When they get up in the morning, when they go to bed at night. Hear, O Israel. Shiva, O Israel. I don't know. I semantics. There is but one God. We get baptized in His name for the remission of our sins. I'm, I'm closing. I'm closing. This is an important, beautiful, powerful message. For three years, three and a half years, I met with a rabbi, he became a very good friend of mine. He was from Pueblo, Colorado. I was from Pueblo, Colorado. We met in Santa Maria, California every Tuesday afternoon. And I was in town for two to sometimes five hours, three and a half years. And we discussed everything. But there were moments and times, and I can think of two in particular. When the Holy Ghost came in that room, so strong, so thick, the anointing was so heavy, you could have cut it with a knife. And I explained to him what we believe about the great God in Christ. And it left him speechless. The way I met him, the way I met him, I asked him a question about something that I had somebody taught at our church. Uh, and I wanted to ask this rabbi if that was so. I said, is it true that no Gentiles work on any synagogues in America? He cracked up laughing. He said, if I had to wait for these Jews to fix stuff around here, we'd never get nothing done. I said, is it true that your people do thus and so in giving? He laughed. He said, you know what I tell our people? All of us rabbis, we're always telling them, you ought to see how much money those Christians give. Why can't you do what they do? So anyway, I said, you know, before we hung up, I said, uh, we have a lot more in common than what you might think. He said, oh, really? How's that? I said, uh, I'm monotheistic. Well, everybody's monotheistic. He said, well, that's nice. I said, no, no, no. I'm strict monotheistic. He said, well, that's really nice. I said, sir, I do not believe in the existence of a triune God. There is no trinity. He got real quiet. He said, you weren't very popular. You would not have been very popular in Nicaea in 325 A.D., would you? I said, no. And we weren't very popular in St. Louis in 1916. When the group we were with showed us the door. Because we didn't believe in it. He said, young man, I want to talk to you. Can you meet me on Tuesday afternoon? And that started three and a half years. I will never forget the day. Amen. That we walked outside. We were in the garden area. We'd been talking, a powerful presence of God there that day as I was talking to him about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And I 
I said, Rabbi, my friend, I took him to Isaiah 12. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, O Jehovah, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away. Let's all stand. And thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah. For the Jehovah, Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. I said, Rabbi, would you please pronounce that word salvation for me? In Hebrew, he just stood there. He said, well, there's a lot of ways to pronounce it. I said, well, give me some. Well, there's Yeshua. Yes. Yeshua. Yeshua. A lot of ways. I said, how would you do it in English? He said, Salvation. I said, how else could it lawfully be done? He said, I think you know. I said, oh, I do, but I really want to hear you say it. For the Jehovah, Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my Yeshua, my Jesus. Verse 3, therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of Yeshua. And in that day ye shall say, praise the Jehovah, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. The God of our fathers. Ananias told the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. Max 24 14, Paul said, I confess this to you after the way that's today called heresy. Yes, I'm a worshiper of Jesus Christ. But when I worship Jesus, I'm worshiping the God of my fathers. He is Jehovah. That has become my salvation. Brothers and sisters, Brother Moody said so well. This is the most sublime, beautiful, cornerstone identification message that we have. Help us to love it, to embrace it. Don't toy with it. Take it serious. Love it. Learn it. Teach it. Get it in your heart. Preach it to your churches.
It's the greatest thing in the world. Let's lift our hands and love Him. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Come on, let's love Him. Let's love Him. I want to know the name. I don't want to just say it. I want to know the name. Pouring his heart out to us. Oh, my goodness. Thank God for all of our ministers and pastors that are here tonight. Now, there's something going to happen to us this week. I really believe that our, our tomorrow during the day. And I want you to be here. I know that these speakers have tremendous things prepared for you tomorrow. We're going to tackle some really big issues.